Gracias, gracias. Buenos días. ¿Cómo están? Muy bien, gracias. My full name is Carlos Alberto Rodríguez Ostrotis Rivera Pagamburgo Pardo García Caquias Nazario. Good to meet you guys. I'm a Pentecostal, but I'm not speaking in tongues. That is the name my daddy gave me. Please keep him in your prayers. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, very broken background. Um, went through a lot of turmoil and pain. My dad was an abusive alcoholic. He's not anymore. Thank you, Jesus. He's actually my biggest fan, my best friend. I'm not even trying to be cute. I forgive him for the name he gave me. But anyways, <clears throat> I'm, I just moved to Puerto Rico last week, went back. My wife is from England. She sounds like Harry Potter. And <laughs> she's gorgeous. We have two boys. We adopted, recently adopted a beautiful girl from Ethiopia. And we just moved our whole family to Puerto Rico because since last year, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. I planted a church, beautiful congregation. Um, but in the midst of having an amazing congregation and ministry going amazing, family wasn't going that great. Because I was really good at pretending that things were going great when they weren't. Especially on Sundays. I was a master at raising my hands, right at that moment when the drums is going, oh, there goes our pastor right at the front, showing us how to worship. But my teeth were like, because that thing my wife did and the thing that my kids didn't do. And I was just, I, I could be vulnerable enough for you to say, wow, our pastor is so approachable, so real, but not vulnerable enough for you to say, he can't be my pastor anymore. That man needs Jesus. <laughs> I could play the role. I could wear the mask. And it wasn't until a moment of deep realization of how much I was being a fraud and how good I was at pretending, but not really that great at depending. And I had to surrender my mask and go back to square one. Jesus, I need a savior, and you're the perfect savior for me. <laughs> you're the one I need. So for the last two years, we handed over the congregation to another couple, and we started um, a, a nonprofit organization. It's called the Happy NPO, and we're doing some work all, all over the Caribbean. We got children's home in, Puerto, in Peru and Ethiopia, and we just moved to Puerto Rico because of the plantains every day and the beach. It's amazing. And because of the work, there's 130,000 homes that were partially or completely destroyed since Hurricane Maria. Um, the latest estimates is that at least 1,400 people died. Some of the worst estimates is that 4,600 people died because of Hurricane Maria. And there is still so much work to be done. And it's my joy and pleasure to be there to do so with lots of great people. I want you to come with me to Luke 15. If you've been a Christian for more than five minutes, you've probably heard this story already. It's the story of the prodigal son. But I want to give you some context. I want to kind of set the scene for you so you can understand a couple of things and maybe we can discover something new about God together. The parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15 verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I'll stop right there because this is an invitation. Luke 15 verse 1 is an invitation to the church of Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. What are we doing wrong? What are we doing differently to Jesus that they're not drawing near to hear us? There was something about not just what he was saying, but the way that he was saying it. The way that he was so welcoming, so inviting, so attractive. Not 
not just because it was flashy and it was cool, but actually it was something deep that he was communicating through his words, through his action. The fact that he would actually touch a person with leprosy. If it was me, I would go, be healed. But you got to think about this. This is Jesus. He's declaring himself, I'm the son of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Meaning, this is what God actually looks like. This is what God actually does. This is what God is actually saying. And he's going to a man with leprosy. And the Old Testament tells us very clearly, people with leprosy need to stay all the way over there. And as they're walking through the town, they need to declare to everybody, I am cursed by God. I have leprosy. I'm cursed by God. I have leprosy. And all of a sudden, God comes to them and touches them. Physically. puts. It's not just the fact that they're getting healed from their disease, but they're being touched by another human being. That's why the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. But there's another crowd. Verse 2, it says, but... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They grumbled. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, they didn't have problem with Jesus healing people. They didn't have problems with Jesus preaching to people. They were really good at preaching to people too. The religious leaders. To be a Pharisee, you actually had to memorize Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament. They knew it off by heart. They knew the Bible really well. They didn't knew the word of God standing in front of them. The Pharisees and teachers of the law grumble, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That was their main complaint. Have you guys read that book, The Five Love Languages? Have you guys heard about The Five Love Languages? A white person wrote that book. <laughs> There's just no doubt about it. I mean, who doesn't include food as the main love language? What's going on, Gary? Words of affirmation, quality time, all important things. But when I go to Puerto Rico, to my mama's house, I'm literally going to be away for 48 hours. I flew in last night. I'll, I'll be there less than 48 hours. I'll be there tomorrow afternoon. As soon as I get home, I know what's coming. Whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, I got rice and beans. I got a thing called pastelon. Let me tell you about pastelon. I want to make room for the anointing here. <laughs> pastelon is a lasagna where instead of using pasta, the layers are fried plantains. Yes, the Lord is here. And I sit down, and my mama doesn't serve herself. She sits down next to me to watch me eat her rice and beans with pastelon. And I'm, mmm, and her heart is full of joy. She's expressed love to me. I'm expressing love to her. Think about how much language there is around food in the Gospels. This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. The audacity. Preach to them, yes. Touch them, okay, I guess. But eating with them, what? this is welcoming into your space, into your private area, into a place of, of humility, of, of encounter, of one-on-one. -on -one. This is not Jesus coming to us to say, I'm so much better than you. This is Jesus coming to us and saying, I want to be one with you. 
I want to hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. That's what the Pharisees grumbled about. The interaction of a friend. They insulted him by saying he's a friend of sinners. That statement was an insult from the religious leaders to Jesus. It's a glorious thing for him. It's in that place of community, of food. There's so much language around food that Jesus is like, you need to eat me. You need to eat my body and drink my blood. The disciples are like, that's messed up. (laughs) If you've been kind of raised in the church, you're kind of okay with that. But just think about that. You need to eat my body and drink my blood. That is messed up. But there's this, he is the meal that is served before us in the presence of our enemies. Jesus himself. The invitation, not just to sit with him and kind of have a relationship, but to enter into such a deep relationship of oneness, of enjoyment, of pleasure, of friendship. And it's because of these two crowds, the tax collectors and the sinners, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that Jesus decides perfect setting for three parables, three stories, short stories, extremely easy to understand stories sometimes. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. The first parable, unfortunately, some writers post the Bible being written, added titles. And sometimes the titles focus on the negative. The first title is the lost sheep. But really, the main character is not the lost sheep. The main character is the good shepherd. It's just human nature to focus on the bad. But really, the main character here is the good shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but then one leaves. You guys heard of that story? 99 sheep, one is lost. What would you do? The crowd understands this. I don't. I'm like simple math. I'm like, sorry, sheep, I love you, but I got 99 to take care of. (laughs) He makes it like such an obvious thing. Wouldn't you do that? Of course you would. I'm like, "Uh, no, I wouldn't. Because while I'm gone, the wolves will come and other, you know, things will happen. Lamb is delicious. You know, somebody will come and steal it and eat it and whatever. No. The people understand. The crowd understands. He brings tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees, all to the same playing field. They all understand what he's talking about. Somebody, everybody in the crowd has a cousin or a brother or a neighbor who's a shepherd. Of course you leave the 99 and go after the one. Because they, the sheep, even though they're, they're in the fold, there are a hundred of them, they kind of got like clicks. You know, they got like friends with each other. And if you lose one... The next day, the three buddies of that one are going to get lost too. And then the next day, the three other buddies of that other three are going to get lost too. You have to go after the one. They understand this. But here's the picture. Jesus is telling them this story and their brains are clicking. This is the first time anybody has heard these words. It's the word of God himself speaking a story. The sound waves going into their ears and... I can imagine the sinners and the tax collectors for a second going, wait a minute, he's talking about me. I'm the lost sheep. And what is he saying he's going to do? What is God saying he's going to do? Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Just think about that moment. 
for that person that's really struggling with secret sin, for that dude that's in the crowd that everybody knows, that guy, you can never trust him. He's the worst. And all of a sudden he's hearing God saying, when you get lost, I'm going to come find you. And when I find you, I'm not going to tell you, you stupid little sheep, why did you get lost? Come on over. Come on up. This is what you need to do. You need to get back. No, he makes it his responsibility to put us on his shoulders and come back rejoicing. He's happy to do it. He's glad to find us in our messes, in our lost. Put it on, on his shoulders and bring us back rejoicing. That's good news. The gospel is not good advice. Good advice is awesome. Invest in here. Pray this way. Read this book. Good advice is amazing. But the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Good advice would have been the good shepherd saying, okay, sheep, you need to walk this direction. You need to head this way. And when you're back with the 99, this is how you need to act. This is who you need to hang out with, little sheep. Not those other ones with these. No, 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 no. Good advice is great. But Jesus came to preach good news. If you've ever felt lost, I promise you, according to scripture, according to God himself, he will come find you, he will put you on his shoulders, and he will do it with joy. Second story, again, title is the parable of the lost coin. But the story starts with, oh, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. The main character is not the lost coin. The main character is the woman who loses something that's valuable. And again, it's the same kind of imagery. Everybody, oh, yeah, silver coins. The tax collectors are like, I like this story. Judas is like, I really like this story. <laughs> they can relate to it. It's accessible to them. And the imagery is this, a woman loses the coin. It's her fault. The coin has no legs. The coin has no way to kind of roll around, ah, hide and seek. <laughs> Here's God. How does he dare put it on him? I'm going to find you. I'm going to make a mess of my house in order to get to you. Those times, those places that you don't even realize that you're lost, the Spirit of God is going to make it his responsibility to reveal himself to you. That's why he's the one who convicts us of our sin. That's the work of the Spirit. But then the last parable, quite possibly my favorite story in all of Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. And again, we're making... The son, the main character, when really the story starts with there was a man who had two sons. The main character is the father. Now remember the crowd, the sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they're listening to this guy. Some think he's a fraud. Some think he's a prophet. Some know him to be the Christ, God himself, the anointed one who tells us and reveals to us what God thinks. Jesus said of himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's always been one with the Father. He's always known the Father. So he's telling us exactly what the Father is like. If you've been to church twice in your life, you've heard the statement, God is love. But what does love look like? Because for all of us, in the different journeys of our lives, I had a father. I'm the only boy. I have five sisters. My father gave me his name. 
Carlos Alberto Rodriguez and then all the other ones. And you know what I did with my kids, right? Of course I did. <laughs> it's Carlos Alejandro Rodriguez Roberts and a few more. Carlos Sebastian Rodriguez Roberts. We adopted our daughter Isabella. And we go to Ethiopia. And they give her officially the father's name. Her passport, bless her heart, says Carlos too as a name. I know. We're going to change it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> What's my sister's name? Carla. Of course it is. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. If somebody walked in through those doors and said, Carlos, how many of you would react? Any other Carloses in the room? Wow, I'm not in Puerto Rico. They'd be like, <laughs> half of the male population would be like, yeah, what's up, brother? Buddy, quiet. So if somebody walked in through those doors and said, Carlos, I wouldn't try to analyze. Is he talking about me? I wonder if that's me. Your identity is given to you. My father gave me my name. He called me Carlos Alberto Rodriguez Sostre. I, can't, I don't have any control over that. It was imposed over me. And as soon as somebody says my name, I react to it. It's the same with God, your father. He has imposed over you identity. The apple of my eye, my beloved, forgiven, my son, my daughter. And our invitation is not to judge whether this is about me. It's to know I am the beloved. I react to the mention of my name. Forgiven, accepted, overcomer. The most important thing about you is what you think about him. Who is God to you? God is love. But how does he love? What does love look like? Well, I believe with all my heart, Jesus in Luke 15 reveals what love looks like. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The younger son, that would be Carlos Sebastian for me. He's adorable. But if he came to me at 18 years old and said, Dad, give me my money. I'd be like, son, son. <laughs> the Bible says that the father, actually in the Greek, in the original language that this was written, the son asks for the inheritance. But the father gives him his bios. The word in Greek for life, where we get biology, the study of life. So the son is like, give me my money. And the father gives him his life. Here's your money. This is how you should invest it. You want the property, you want the horses, here's how you ride them. Here's how you take care of them. He gave him his life. The son leaves, ungrateful. Who cares? When do you guys get your inheritance? Usually, 99.9% .9 of the time, is when your parents pass away. The son is basically saying, I wish you were dead. My life would be so much better if you weren't around. So the son leaves. My father is dead. I got the money. I got the stuff. And he goes to a foreign land. And he spends all his money, recklessly spends all his money. And then he's so hungry. Jesus tells us in this parable that the kid spends all the money doing crazy things. And then he's so hungry, he's wanting to eat the food, the, the food of the pigs. Now, this is Jesus being an absolute genius storyteller. Because for the whole crowd, sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, and teachers of the law, 
They all know they got their issues, they got their differences, they're separate. But the one thing they know is you don't eat pigs. The whole crowd is a Jewish crowd. And they know by law you don't eat pigs. You don't mess around with pigs. They're evil. They're disgusting. You, when Jesus gets rid of demons, he puts them in pigs. They're terrible. So what Jesus is doing is bringing everybody to the same playing field. This kid what? He dishonored his mother and his father? Has he not read the Ten Commandments? This kid what? He goes to a foreign land? Doesn't he know? The Jewish people stay with the Jewish people. What? He's eating pigs? So the people that thought differently in the crowd, they're all like, oh, finally Jesus is telling us the story where he draws the line. There's always somebody that doesn't deserve this kind of grace. We found them. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. You're giving us that person. You know, we have our issues, but we don't have that issue. I have my struggles, but not like him. Human nature does that. We're always finding a way to highlight somebody else's struggles because that makes us feel better about our own. And Jesus creates this scenario where this kid is like the mess of the mess. And listen to what happens. Actually, I was at a high school in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago. I like to put myself in uncomfortable situations <laughs> intentionally. Because if it was, my nature is just to watch Netflix and not interact with any human being. <laughs> Except the characters on Netflix who are really important characters. Um, and I go to this high school because it was Holy Week, Easter week. And it's a public high school, but man, it's open. Pastors can come. And to make the long story short, the director of the school used to go to a church that we were attending. We were pastoring at in Puerto Rico back in the day. And she's like, Carlos, you can come on a Wednesday and I'll bring students together and you tell them about God and how awesome he is and how lovely he is. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to do the work of Jesus out there in a public high school. I'm awesome. And you know, if you've ever had to prepare something for church or anything churchy, you get super spiritual that week. It's like, only reckless love on repeat. <laughs> only, only, all day. I'm going to wake up this week to pray early in the morning. I'm going to sin less this week. I'm going to behave because I got to be ready for the work of the Lord. So I'm like all preparing and I'm da-da-da-da-da and I'm praying. And I get to the school and Grace welcomes me. It's the Wednesday of Holy Week. The kids are about to be released. This is the end. They're going to have a week break. And we're walking down all the way to the classroom. Yeah, this land is our land. It's been given to us. Grace, I've been praying. I've been fasting. This is going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. And I walk into the classroom, and all of a sudden, there's 100 students. The worst of the worst. Some guys, their pants are down here. Other guys got gold chains that could pay my mortgage. There's these kids that are like making out in front of everybody. There's a couple of young ladies who are pregnant. And Grace is like, yeah, we brought the, like the most, the, the, the kids that give us the most trouble. There's, and I walk in and all that bravado, spiritual bravado just went, and I just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? I got transported to my high school days. And I'm just like, I mean, I'm nervous. They're going to make fun of me. They're looking at me. They're being loud. There's four teachers right next to the door, and they're all telling me with their body, this is a stupid idea. Why are these kids all together? 
I turn my back to them. Grace is like, shh, everybody quiet down, everybody. And I'm turning my back to them, and I'm looking at the board, and I'm just like, oh, man. Oh, Jesus, what am I going to do? What was that joke again? I, I had this, I had a relevant joke that I was going to make, and I can't remember. And I'm just like, knees, stop shaking. Just stop. Stop being nervous. Take a deep breath. Stand on the word. What word? I don't even know the Bible. I'll be like, what am I doing? I'm having a meltdown. And all of a sudden, you know when God speaks to you, sometimes you just hear that voice. It's nicer than you. It's more intelligent than you. It's kinder than you. It really likes people you don't really like. You know the voice, right? And all of a sudden, I hear that voice saying, son, they don't need a prepared sermon. They need a prepared life. And you, my boy, you're prepared. Man, he loves me. When he calls me out by name like that, who cares what I've done? He loves me. And he believes in me. I turn around. I'm like, they're like, come on. It's wild. It's crazy. It's 100 Puerto Ricans. It's hot. It's April. We're going for it. Come on, guys. I got this. I got a story for you. The prodigal son. And I, I start to tell them the story as I'm telling you. The reactions are different. I'm telling them, and this kid, like he took the inheritance and he went to a foreign land and he's sleeping around and he's gambling. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Woo! I'm like, no, 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 no. Shh, woo. Not that. Okay, but whatever. Let's do this. And all of a sudden, I knew what I had to do. First time I've ever done this. You got to act it out. They've never heard this story. A lot of them, it's brand new to them. The context is like, what? Jesus, who, what? Okay, we're going for this. And all of a sudden, I pick a guy from the back. I'm like, bro, can you help me? You're going to act out the prodigal son. The, I lost the room. Oh, my goodness, there's no way. That guy's the worst. There's no way he's going to do it. And he's like, I'll do it. I'll do it, man. I love, yeah, I'll act it out. And he's walking around. He's kissing girls, you know, trying to really enter. I should have brought him today with you. He was perfect. I mean, absolutely perfect. He's at the back and he's acting out the story of the prodigal son. Because you have to understand something. The prodigal son has a moment of repentance. The word repentance is when you're walking this direction and you decide to walk this direction. But the prodigal son repented, not because he felt bad about the father, not because he was like, man, and the keyboard's in the background. And he's like, mm, man, like, I feel so bad for my mom, the way I left home. No, he repents because he's selfish, because he's hungry, because he's got nothing else. And the story is telling us something. God could care less why you come back. Just please come back. Yes. He loves you that much. Your motivations can be messed up. He don't care. He loves you. He loves you so much, he'll take you as you come. He loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. That's good news. So the guy goes to the back. And he's acting it out. And I'm like, I got I to gotta act this out. Actually, I got to act, act it out today too. Can you help me, brother? I'm looking at you, my man. 
Come on. Everybody, give him a hand. Here's our prodigal son for the morning. Come up here. So the prodigal son takes the inheritance and goes to a faraway land. Go okay. to the exit over there. Wow, he's loving it. What a good time he's having. Spending the father's money. Sleeping around, drinking around. Dude, look at that. Oh, he's almost Puerto Rican. Look at that. <laughs> but he gets hungry. He loses everything. And he decides to come back home. Now listen to this. Remember the crowd. Sinners, tax collectors, teachers of the law, the Pharisees. They all think this guy is worthless. He's nothing. He doesn't deserve a second chance. And then Jesus tells them why he's repenting. Even less. You need to do right the right way. But the prodigal son decides to come back home. God is love. Yes. But this is how God loves us. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I'll give you the verbs of love. You will be seen. He was filled with compassion. He'll feel for you. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son starts walking home, starts coming back, and as soon as the father sees him, feels compassion for him, runs, hugs him. Jesus saying here <laughs> Jesus is showing us who God truly is not just who he is but how he acts and how he reacts and how he behaves and how he forgives and how he embraces Guys, this is, this is not me giving you a cute version of the gospel. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who's always known what the Father is like, telling us what the Father is like, showing us what the Father is like. I did this in the school, but when I crashed with my friend, who was being all kind of macho about it, we collapsed on the floor, and he began to bawl his eyes out. The, I lost the room. I lost it to God himself. The kids started crying. They started falling on their knees. Ten, twelve of them went to their teachers, knelt down in front of them. Misi, misi, perdóname. Teacher, please forgive me because I've done this and that. The teacher's tears were falling on their heads. All of a sudden, they're organizing themselves. They're like, stand here. You stand here. You stand here. Carlos, come. Hug us. Kiss us. Touch us. We are all desperate for this God. 
Not the version of God that we created to feel better about ourselves. Not the version of God that we created to feel like others are wrong and we're right. But the version that Jesus came to preach because he's one with the Father. And in that version, he will see you from afar. He feels compassion for you. He runs, he hugs, and he kisses. And my favorite part about that story is that the son had a prepared prayer. A prayer of repentance. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Please don't treat me as your son. Treat me as a hired servant. And he was repeating this prayer as he's walking back. And the greatest thing the father did after hugging him and kissing him is he ignored that prayer. The son told the father, this is what I've done. Don't treat me. And the father doesn't acknowledge that prayer. You know why? Because if God acknowledges our religious efforts, we would believe the lie that he welcomes us because of our religious efforts. If he would have responded to that prayer, the son would have believed the lie that it's because I repented. It's because I came home. No, it's because he is love. And this is how he loves you. And how he loves you. And not just how he loves everybody in this room, but this is how he loves our brothers in maximum security prison. This is how he loves the people in Puerto Rico up in the mountains still sleeping on the blue tarps. This is how he loves the people you hate. God is love, but this is how he loves. He'll see you. He'll feel for you. He'll hug you. And he'll kiss you. Can I invite the worship team to join me again, please? And can I invite you to stand? I'm going to keep my brother here with me. The father threw a party for the prodigal son. Again, not because of his best efforts, but because that's just who the father is. He didn't welcome him back and he said, you know what, let's keep this grace I've shown to you secretly. Just because I don't want anybody else to take advantage of it. Let's just keep it to ourselves, okay? You do your work. You play the role. You do a little bit of the servants where eventually you'll come back in. No, 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 no. He celebrates who he is. Because if we understand that that's who he is, we can join in the party and we can feast with him. Love, acceptance, grace, mercy for us and for our prodigal brothers and for our older, older brothers. This is how God loves each and every one of you. If you could close your eyes, if you dare with me, just take a minute, 60 seconds to recognize that there's parts of your life where you're far off from God. And I promise you, there's zero judgment to that. There's an invitation that he sees you. That he feels compassion for you. God feels compassion for you. For your pain and your brokenness and your separation. For the things that are going at home that nobody knows about for your secret sin that you've been battling for years, for the stuff that you know is wrong, what God feels is compassion. And he sees you, and he runs towards you, and he hugs you, and he kisses you. This is God, and this is how he loves you. This is how he loves you.
Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that everybody within the sound of my voice would have a moment, an encounter, a revelation of Romans 8, 15 and 16. The spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, is here in this room. And you, Holy Spirit, will give a testimony to our spirits that we are sons and daughters, accepted, beloved, welcomed, embraced, kissed, celebrated.